You know, there are lots of different kinds of phones, but I bet, looking in this group, that many of us have a phone that does something more than just take telephone calls. You know those smartphones, they're so good. They help you find things. It's linked into the GPS. You can find where you're going. I've got one of those. Anyone else? The smartphone, right, shows you where to go. How does that map thing work for you? Because you know, sometimes it doesn't work right for me. It seems like it should be perfect. You dial into your phone and you meet your friend and you see them at a Starbucks that you've never been to before. Or you have an opportunity to visit a restaurant. You read a good review, but you hadn't been there. All of that is really good. However, sometimes those maps, they're just wrong. You know how that is. You're trying to get from one end of Snyder to the other. And it turns out that you can't actually drive the whole way. No, there's a giant wash in the middle. Your phone doesn't know that. Your phone thinks you can do that. No, you have to go down five miles and then back up again. Let me tell you what happened to me in Bisbee. You guys been to Bisbee? Fabulous town. Beautiful, but windy. So, I needed to visit the church in Bisbee just fine. I had my phone. I dialed in the address. I followed the directions, and instead of ending up in the church, I was in a parking lot at the bottom of the hill. You're nodding, Jack. You know how this is. And the more I looked at my phone, the more I saw I couldn't get there from here. There was no way to do it, other than going, oh, 15 miles down the side. I knew I was two blocks away. My phone had the wrong map. And no matter how much time I spent looking at it, it would not help me get from here to there. I think that's how it was for Nicodemus visiting Jesus that night, long ago. Now, Nicodemus was a man of some power, some influence. He was a member of the 70, the ruling member, the Sanhedrin. He was probably part of a wealthy, well-established family. He was a recognized leader in his community. It would be rather like having a senator come visit Jesus. So he came in cover of darkness, and I think that Nicodemus thought his map worked pretty well. He knew most of it, but he was coming to see Jesus to get a few bits cleared up and confirmed. But you know, when he started to speak with Jesus, Jesus spoke about being born from above, being born again, having life anew. And the more Jesus described it, the more confused Nicodemus became. And he asked, well, do you re-enter the mother's womb? Can this thing happen if you are an older person? And Jesus began to explain, but Nicodemus, he got more confused. And that's because his map was not going to get him there. 
Now, I believe that Nicodemus did figure it out. Take a look at the Gospel of John. Look up Nicodemus. Use BibleGateway.com. Dial that in that name. Take your, take your bulletin home so you can spell Nicodemus. <laughs> and you will see that he helped to ensure that Jesus got a trial at the Sanhedrin, which actually was needed. And that at the time of his death, it is he who showed up with a hundred weight of spices to honor Jesus at the time of his burial. Nicodemus got it. We ourselves, I think, love Lent because it is a chance for us to get our maps straight again. I don't know if you've done this, but I ask people, what's your favorite season in the church year? I expect to hear Christmas, maybe Easter. Do you know what I hear? Lent. People love Lent. And I think it is because it is a, a time when we strip away our pretenses between ourselves and God. And we get down to the basics. We return to the ancient pathways of the church, the pathways of prayer, study, service, fasting, those pathways that clear our heads and center our hearts back to Christ. Because we can tell when our map has gotten wrong, it really pinches when you find out. You know how that is. You have a job review. And in that job review, you're pretty sure that at least on this part, you're doing fine. And it turns out that that is the one place where your boss wants you to get in shape right away. Not what you thought. You have a conversation with your brother. And in the process of that, you become so infuriated with each other that you utter hurtful words. You don't know how to take them back, and you haven't spoken for six months. You don't know how to get back there. You have a conversation with your teenage child and discover that instead of being on the same page, you are miles apart, and you didn't know, and you're not sure how to link up with them again. You are a middle school student, and you discover that your friends have realigned None of them will return your text messages, and they won't eat with you at lunch. You have drinks in the evening to help yourself relax, and what started as relaxation has become an impediment to you and a growing problem. We know what it is when our maps no longer work. You know that... That brokenness, that willful brokenness, that is what the church is referring to when it uses the churchly language, right, dead in our sins. Because in fact, we tend to act like that knight in the Monty Python movie, you know, the one who's in a dreadful battle, and no matter how badly he's wounded, he shouts out, oh, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> See, many of you have seen this. Oh, it's just a flesh wound. This is what we say to each other. Oh, that conversation, the thing with my child, the thing with my... Oh, it's just a flesh wound. But it's not a flesh wound. We are seriously hurt. And if we are truly honest between ourselves and God, 
part of us is dying inside because of that wound. And for us, that's not actually dreadful news. The reason it is not dreadful news is because Jesus came to raise the dead. Jesus came to raise the dead. Let me read to you what Robert Farrar Capon wrote. He says, Jesus came to raise the dead. The only qualification for the gift of the gospel is to be dead. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be wonderful. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be dead. That's it. This is our good news. Because this is the good news that Jesus brought. He spoke about it to Nicodemus, and he tells it to us today in the words of the gospel. He spoke to Nicodemus, and he said, You must be born again, born anew, born from above. So what do we learn from that conversation first? We can't make it happen ourselves. Any more than an infant can tell, Mom, let's go now. We can't do that. We can't cause it to happen. But that's not worrisome because, in fact, it is a pure gift from God. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit, specifically. And thirdly, and I want you to look in your bulletin at the Gospel, It is what Jesus' mission is all about. Open up your bulletin. Take a look at the gospel reading. Look at the bottom line, John 3, 17, and see what it says. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is Jesus' mission. That's his goal for us as individuals, and for the world altogether. And that is our very good news. Let me tell you two stories about what that looks like. The first one is the story of a congregation in a small town in Idaho called Arco. Has anyone been to Arco? I have not been to Arco, but I know their story. The story is that the church is very small, and they talked to a leader and said, you know, It's probably time to shut our doors. But, of course, when we do that, our little food pantry is going to stop, and so will our small soup kitchen. And so the leader said, well, give it one more try. See what happens. And they did. Amazing things happened in this little church. Not only did the food pantry continue, the soup kitchen continued, but they started a lectionary Bible study that many people from the town of 500 attended. They started to worship with the Baptists who did the whole of Holy Week with them and Christmas and Easter. In fact, they took on another service project They doubled in worship, they doubled in study, they doubled in service, and they doubled in size. They stood up at convention, they told their story, 
And they rejoice to say, you know, we're twice as big as we used to be. At first we had only six members, and now we have 12. That's what 12 people did in their community. That's what Born Anew looks like. The other story is of a man who had turned his life around. My husband just got back from a medical mission in Ensenada. And this group of doctors goes around to different sites every year about this time. And this man had visited them a year ago. And he was a mess. He needed to go into rehab. He was morbidly obese. He had no grounding. In the year's time, that man got into rehab. He got sober. He stayed sober. He reconnected with his family. He connected with his God. He lost 100 pounds all on his own. He returned rejoicing to show himself to that medical staff. But you know, he was still worried. He was worried about his family whom he supported by selling candy. How would he take care of them? And he concluded his visit in a time of prayer with those doctors because they realized that the same God who got him into rehab, who got sober, who reconnected him with his family, who helped him to get healthy, was the same God that was watching over his family right now and was going to help him do what was needed for their well-being. That's also what new life looks like. A new map. Let me finish the rest of my story from Bisbee. We left me lost in a parking lot at the bottom of the hill. I called for help, and a lovely member of the vestry walked down two blocks, it turns out, and met me on the corner. All I had to do was drive over there and let him in. At that point, he personally directed me turn for turn until I arrived at my destination. And that's the final thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus and he tells us. You see, the map doesn't come along. The map comes with the guide. And the guide is Jesus. And he is the one who will, like my being lost in Bisbee, walk with us on the whole way. Not only that, he will pay the cost to get there. You know, in Aramaic, to be lifted up, sounds nice to us in English, but in Aramaic, that phrase that he said to Nicodemus, I, when I am lifted up, will draw the world to myself, it's in there, has the meaning of crucifixion as well. Even then, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus knew that there was a cost to be paid for the saving and healing of his people and that he was prepared to pay it. That is good news indeed. It is my prayer that in this time and season of Lent that we will be able to do two things. First, stop calling it a flesh wound and admit to God where we are dying inside. 
And second, that our practices of prayer, study, fasting, service will so clear our minds and so steady our hearts that when we drive by, we recognize Jesus on that street corner and we let him in so he can guide us home. Amen.